So today, I want to talk about superpowers. So this shirt also ties into that. It was very convenient. I already had this sermon in mind when I saw this shirt. I was like, hmm, Uh, it worked really well. I want to talk about superpowers. Specifically, I want to talk about kindness as a superpower. Now, it might seem kind of weird to think about. I got to use the clicker, don't I? There we go. Kindness as a superpower, we're going to talk about it. So to get our heads in the right space, here's what I want you to do. I do this with the students all the time. We're going to do this with you guys. I want you to turn to someone next to you and answer this question. If you could have any superpower ability, what would you choose? Turn to the person next to you. You do have to talk. Uh, bonus points if you turn to someone you don't know. So if you could have any superpower ability, what would you choose? Make sure both people get a chance to talk. Hmm? All right. So if you could have any superpower, what would you choose? How many of you guys said, yeah? Oh, am I supposed to dismiss kids? That was in my notes. Kids, uh, kinder, preschool, through third grade? See, if it's not in my notes, I don't say it. Kids, you're dismissed. Unless you want to stick around, it's going to be awesome. I'm just saying, don't run so fast. It's all right. Just taking mental notes. Who's running out of the room? Okay, okay. That's cool. That's cool. You'll be in youth group someday. I'll remember this. All right. Thank you for the reminder. Dismiss the kids. Katie's just like, what is happening in there? She's just in there by herself taking a nap. All right. So how many of you guys... How many of you guys chose flight? How many people said flight? Everybody chooses flight. Everybody, like the majority of people always choose flight. Until you think about like luggage, people are going to want you to carry them everywhere. All of a sudden, flight does not become so fun. How many people said like super strength? You want to be super strong? Nobody? Those are the people that need to get together with the super flying people. And you guys need to work together to put out a personal airline. That'd be awesome. Uh, what about invisibility? Everybody say being invisible. Mm, there's a little personality-revealing question, isn't it? It's an interesting answer. Uh, teleportation. Anybody say teleportation? I like that one. That's, I'm a fan of that one. Uh, invulnerability. That's a good one. Invulnerability. No one? Psychic powers. Anybody say psychic powers? Mind powers. There we go. Great. So how would we define a superpower? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to that same person you talked to, and what would be your definition of a superpower? How would you define that? Go talk to the person next to you. All right. Here's my definition. And you can tell me later. Don't tell me right now if I'm right or wrong. It's okay. Uh, You can tell me later. My definition of a superpower is a remarkable ability that defies the natural state of things, the natural law and order, something that is extraordinary, something that like, defies the laws of physics, defies the laws of nature. A remarkable ability to be a superpower. So I want to talk about today how kindness can be 
our superpower. And in fact, how Christ calls us to use kindness just like a superpower. All right? So I went and saw two movies this spring. And I saw them really close together. And it was really interesting because they were frighteningly similar. All right? I went and saw Doctor Strange in the Multiverse, Multiverse of Madness. Anybody else go see that one? I expected more hands. This movie's made like all the money in the world. Uh, and then I went and saw Everything Everywhere All at Once. Did anybody see that one? Yes. We'll talk later. For sure. For sure. Uh, okay. So both movies deal with this multiverse idea, okay? So, like, there's multiple universes. We all exist across all these universes. Great. Uh, in fact, both movies had very similar plots. Again, super weird to see these movies, like, one right after the other. Uh, both movies, the plot, our hero needs to stop a cross-dimensional villain from destroying everything. To do that, they need to acquire powers from other versions of themselves, and they had to learn new skills, all right? That's the basic plot of both movies, now, there were a few differences. Obviously, most of you have probably heard of one and not heard of the other. That's one example. Uh, one of these movies cost $250 million to make. The other cost $25 million to make. Uh, one movie made $950 million. Uh, the other made 90. But there was one big difference. Now, I'm going to spoil the end. If you've never seen like a Marvel comic book movie right before, I'm going to spoil the ending of every one of them. So you're welcome. Uh, if you've never seen one yet, you're probably not going to. I don't feel so bad. Uh, when faced with an insurmountable opponent, the solution is often the same. In every single movie, they either need to punch it harder, they need to get more powerful, or they need to get bigger. It's always one of those three options. I love going to the movies. I go to the movies far more than I probably should. Uh, I love it. But I'll tell you what, I sit down for some of these, and like 30 minutes into the movie, I'll be like, oh, that guy's going to beat that guy by doing that. Just wait and go. You know, it's kind of predictable. You're like, all right, I'm seeing a comic book movie. You also know what you're going to get. It's going to be exciting, and it's going to be fun. But you kind of know what's going to happen at the end. And here's where everything everywhere all at once differs. So they build up, you get to the beginning of the third act, you know, the hero's gone through all their trials, they've gotten to this point where they have to choose what they're going to do, you know, the problem, they've got to solve the problem, and they get to that moment that happens in every superhero action movie where they face those insurmountable odds. There's no way they could win. Oh yeah, there's a way they can win because they're going to make a sequel. Uh, in this one though, it gets to that moment where the hero cannot possibly overcome the odds. And it's like, oh man, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And in any other comic book movie, you know, they find like a new power, they find an ability, they get like the one thing, that one object they've been looking for that helps them solve the whole movie. Boy, if they found it like 40 minutes ago, I could have been eating lunch right now. Um, but one of the supporting characters turns and says to our hero in this moment where there's this huge big fight, all this crazy stuff's happening, and they say, one of the supporting characters turns to the hero and says, I know you're all fighting because you're scared and confused, and I'm confused too, all day. I don't know what the heck is going on, but somehow I feel like it's all my fault. This is one of the supporting characters talking to this hero, this moment where everything pauses in the movie. When I choose to see the good side of things, I'm not being naive. It's strategic and necessary. 
It's how I learned to survive through everything. I don't know. The only thing I do know is that we have to be kind. Please, this character pleads with the hero. Please, be kind, especially when you don't know what's going on. I know you see yourself as a fighter. Well, I see myself as one too. This is how I fight. Please be kind, especially when we don't know what's going on. And like the whole theater, and the theater was very full of people watching this movie, silent. And it's like, rather than like deflating the moment, like, no, like it's supposed to be like this big exciting action set piece. All of a sudden, this movie takes a hard left turn. And rather than punch them harder, blow them up, get more powerful, the solution becomes be kind. Be kind. And it stuck with me. I couldn't get it out of my head. There's a lot of reasons why you can't get that movie out of your head. I will say, not child appropriate. Just got to throw that caveat out there. Everyone's like, oh, Mike recommended this movie. Let's watch it with the kids. No, maybe don't. Uh, also, Doctor Strange, maybe not for the little kids. If you watch Marvel movies with your family, just FYI, older kids, probably great. Uh, that's, a, that's a little free recommendation. But the scene hits me and everyone else in the theater like a ton of bricks. And I realize it's because in this moment, in this context, kindness is remarkable. In this context of an action sci-fi hero movie, I'm used to seeing like, fighting and punching and all this stuff. And it's this remarkable moment that comes out of left field and says, be kind. Why is kindness so remarkable? And so I've been thinking about that a lot as I was thinking about the sermon. You know, Pastor Mitch asked me to preach and um, I was like, okay, well, what do I want to share? What, what, God, what have you put on my heart? And this was the thing that came up is like God has been putting on my heart over like the last couple months like, Mike, you need to think about kindness more. Mike, you need to look at what I say about kindness in my word. So congratulations, you all got to come with me now on this journey of being convicted about our kindness, but also what we can do about it. So why is kindness so important? It's always a great question to start with. Where, why on earth should I care? Why do we think kindness is important? And I think there are three really good reasons why kindness is important. The first one, in the Old Testament, God is often defined by his kindness. So the word they use for kindness is chesed, a beautiful word to say. It's a pretty, pretty common one. It shows up a ton, like hundreds of times in the Old Testament. And it means a lot of different things. It's often translated as loving kindness or steadfast love. So I usually read ESV, it uses steadfast love. But it's the same word, this loving kindness. And over and over in the Old Testament, God is described as being someone with this chesed, this loving kindness. Psalm 25, 6. Oh, it's just this cool little moment where crying out, remember your mercy, O Lord. Someone in distress, God, remember your mercy and your chesed your steadfast love, your everlasting kindness, for they have been from of old. God, you've always been kind. You've always been kind, God. And it's a quality that goes beyond an emotion or feeling. And this is an important thing to grasp as we start talking about this. It goes beyond an emotion or a feeling. 
Because it's getting to action. It's about action. It's God, you're not just a nice guy. No, God, you act on it. God, I know you're merciful. I know you're kind. Because you keep doing merciful and kind things over and over and over and over again. Over and over through scripture, you remind us. And God's version of kindness is far beyond being polite. And it's not always even gentle. It's consistent and it's present and it is sacrificial and loving. God's kindness all through the Old Testament. People call God kind, you're kind, you're kind, over and over and over again. Because he does these things. Nehemiah 9-7. We did a great series um, just recently here at Redeemer on Nehemiah. And this is one of the verses that Pastor Mitch really hit on. Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 17 says, uh, this is Nehemiah writing. They refused to obey. He's talking about the people of Israel. And they were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. Come out of the wilderness, or they come out of Egypt, um, they come out of slavery, and not long after, they're ready to turn around and head back. Nehemiah's like, these people, they keep doing this over and over and over again, God. They are stiff-necked. They refuse to look up and acknowledge you. But it goes on to say, but you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness, and you did not forsake them. This is not a kindness that requires somebody else to be nice to. This is not a kindness that is reciprocal in any way. It's not transactional. It's not, I'm going to find a kind person. God's saying, well, as long as you guys are kind, then I'm going to be kind to you. No, over and over and over and over and over again in the Old Testament, It's the story of God being kind to a people who have little to no interest in his kindness. So we get that example over and over again in the Old Testament. God's kindness towards people was always present and always endured. And as we continue to read the story of Scripture, kindness remains consistent. Jesus made kindness a defining part of his ministry. If we thought of, like, the kindest person possible, the answer is always Jesus. Like, it's the Sunday school answer, but it's also true. Like, the kindest person possible was Jesus. And there's lots of examples through the Gospels of Jesus being kind. We could spend probably an hour in here filling up multiple whiteboards with stories from the Gospels where Jesus was kind. But there's one I want to look at real quick, Luke 19. And Luke 19 contains the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. And if you grew up in the church, you probably grew up singing the song about Zacchaeus. It's a great story. And uh, Jesus is passing through Jericho, and Zacchaeus, a tax collector, somebody who was Jewish by birth, but who worked for and was employed by the Roman Empire to collect taxes. And it was common practice back then for tax collectors. The Romans would just say, hey, you collect as much as you want. You just make sure we get this much. So you, you know, if we need 20 and you ask for 30, great, keep the 10. We don't care. Do we get our 20? Yeah, you bet we do. All right. So Zacchaeus was not only an unethical man, Zacchaeus was a despised man in the city of Jericho. 
because it was kind of common knowledge that Zacchaeus is taking more than he needs. So I'm going to start reading in verse 4, Luke 19. Uh, So he, Zacchaeus, ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way, talking about Jesus. And when Jesus came to the place, Jesus looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they, the crowd, the people in the crowd saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Now here's what's interesting about Zacchaeus, and I think about a lot of other people that the Gospels talk about in Zacchaeus' situation. If Jesus encounters someone who is guilty of sin, the Gospels make no effort to like sweep that under the rug. Was Zacchaeus a thief? Yeah, definitely. Was Zacchaeus unethical? Yeah. Was Zacchaeus keeping his neighbors in poverty? Probably. The Gospels make no effort to say, oh, Zacchaeus was a tax collector, but he was one of the good ones. No, Zacchaeus was a scoundrel. And was he guilty of being a scoundrel? Absolutely. There's no question. There's no question he was guilty. But Jesus chooses to see Zacchaeus. Says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house today. You and me, we're going to sit down. We're going to have, we're going to have some time together. And the crowd grumbles. He's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Jesus, in a way, is like extending honor to Zacchaeus. Of all the people's houses he could stay at, he's going to go stay with his? He's going to go stay with Zacchaeus? But this passage goes on, verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man did not come to seek and save those who were already ready to be saved. He didn't come to seek and save those who were innocent. He didn't come to seek and save those who were already being kind. He came for the lost. And how does Jesus bring salvation to Zacchaeus' house? Kindness. He's kind to him. He's kind to Zacchaeus. Somebody who was very clearly guilty of like all the things everybody thought about him. And Jesus shows him kindness. And through that kindness, Zacchaeus finds salvation. Over and over again, Jesus calls out to and spends time with who the religious would have called sinners. Again, were these people guilty of the sins they were accused of? Yeah. I think the Bible makes it clear. But over and over and over again, Jesus uses kindness to pry past that sin and get to the heart of the issue and is able to share the truth with these people because Jesus is kind. He's being kind to these people. This is not, again, he's not looking for people who are already kind. He's not looking for people who are going to be pleasant to hang out with. He's looking for the lost He says, I'm going to get into their lives with kindness. That's how I'm going to do it. Well, of course, the Bible doesn't end with the Gospels. The early church, the New Testament, talks a lot about kindness. The character of an early Christian. Over and over, kindness is included of those attributes we need to strive for. 
2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 6, says that as servants of God, we can commend ourselves for our purity, knowledge, patience, and kindness. It talks about our relationship to the Holy Spirit, our genuine love. In Galatians chapter 5, 22, one of the fruit of the Spirit says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Over and over again, the early Christians were known and called, first off, I should say they were called by God to be kind, to be kind to people. And then through that, their relationship to the world around them, they became known as people who were kind. There's this quote I found in the year 337, the last pagan emperor of Rome. This is something he wrote, okay? When it came about that the poor were neglected and overlooked by the pagan priests, then I think the pious Galileans, he's talking about the Christians, observed this fact and devoted themselves to philanthropy. They support not only their poor, but ours as well. All men see that our people lack aid from us. He's actually writing to the priests in his temple. Saying, hey, these people over here, they don't have anything. And yet their reputation far exceeds yours. Why won't these people go away? This was an empire that had directed itself to exterminating and eliminating the Christian faith to wiping it out, and yet they could never quite stamp it all out. It's like playing whack-a-mole. And with kindness, it would keep popping up over and over again. These early Christians devoted themselves and defined themselves with kindness. And I would argue that it's through their kindness that they brought down the empire around them. A cruel and evil empire. They brought it down by being kind, by being unrelentingly kind. So the question that I think about, both in a broad context, but also on a personal level, when did we decide as Christians that we weren't going to be kind anymore? You know, we got Joanna, two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, and we talk a lot with her about being kind. You guys probably talk to kids about being kind. You can remember stories. You read kids. So many of Joanna's books talk about kindness. She has a shirt. Kristen and I were just joking about this. That says, kindness is my superpower. And we're like, well, maybe not yet. You're two and a half. <laughs> Wouldn't say you're defined by kindness right now. Uh, we're getting there, though. But like, as, as Christians, as believers, when do we get to a point in our lives where we say, kindness isn't quite that important anymore? You know what? I can think of people I don't want to be kind to. I can maybe even come up with examples from Scripture of people I don't even have to be kind to. There are other things that I'm going to make more important in my life with the world around me than kindness. And as I thought more and more about it, I kind of came up with this idea. And this is convicting for me. I don't know if it is going to be convicting for you. But it's when I choose to be right instead of being kind. When I have to be right. When me being right is the most important thing, then I have set kindness aside. Because being right has nothing to do with kindness. As long as I'm right, I can say and do whatever I want because I'm right. 
You can punch somebody in the face with the truth. Well, I'm just being right. I'm just being true. You've thrown, Mike has thrown kindness out the window. Because when I look really closely at the narrow group of people that Jesus very rarely acted kindly towards, it was the religious leaders. Those are the people he called the whitewashed tombs. Call them dirty bowls. You look clean on the outside, but inside you're full of filth. Because it was more important for the Pharisees to be right than it was for them to be kind. And I think what an adventure in missing the plot. They are so off track that we have forgotten how to be kind. Because in our world today, kindness is hard. It's easy to be discouraged, and it's easy to be beaten down. We do not live in a kind world. We do not live in a kind society. And yet, what did we say was our definition of a superpower earlier? Something that is remarkable outside the natural law and order of the world. If you saw somebody flying overhead, you would pay attention. If you saw someone acting kind, I think it would get the same amount of attention. I think it would be remarkable to some people for us to be defined by our kindness. So real quick, what do I got to do to be more kind? We'll just say you guys are getting like the insight into Mike's devotional time because this is a question I kept coming back to. What do I need to do to be more kind? And maybe you are somebody who says, you know what? I'm kind enough. Well, good for you, but I'll... Bet if you asked your family, they would say something different. Uh, They're always the best meters of character, especially your kids. So where do we start? Well, if we want to be more kind, keep the end goal in mind. What do I mean by that? Keep the end goal in mind. Well, what is the end goal for every Christian? Glorify, honor, and worship God. That is my overarching end goal in my life. That supersedes everything else. But how can I worship God if I pay him lip service And do not act like someone who belongs to God. Romans 8, be conformed to the likeness of God's Son. Talking about Jesus. Galatians 4.19, we're going to labor until Christ is formed in you. If Christ is defined by his kindness, if God all through the Old Testament is defined as someone with everlasting kindness, do you think we should be kind? Rhetorical question, the answer is yes. Let's give you that one as a freebie. We do need to be kind. How can I honor God if I ignore those qualities of kindness he demonstrates over and over again? We've been talking about this with junior high and Sunday school. We're doing this thing called pictures of God. And so the theme, the big idea is that we are children of God. And like children of God, we want to look like our heavenly father. So what does God show himself to be like? So we've been having all these different like pictures. And today was God is like a comedian. But God is funny. And God made a funny world. But there are good ways to be funny, and there are bad ways to be funny. Let's strive for those good ways to be funny. God, over and over again, shows himself as kind. Ephesians 4.13 says that our goal is to attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Christ was a kind person. If I am to attain the full measure of Christ, you better bet. I need to be kind. We need to be kind. And the gospel goes down a whole lot better when it comes from a kind person. 
I don't think any of us would deny that. I've had a lot of privileges and opportunities in my life to share the gospel with people. It goes over a lot easier when people see me as a kind person, when I extend kindness to someone faithfully, regularly, over time. And they get that opportunity to share the gospel. Well, yeah, they want to listen. They know I'm a kind person. I have their best interest at heart. I'm not going to tell them something for like, this isn't for my gain, this is for theirs. I want to practice kindness. So number one, start with the end goal in mind. Think about what, what am I reaching for, God? God, I want to be more like your son every day. God, I need to be more kind. I'm falling behind on my kindness, God. Help me with this. Next one, start in your own heart. We need to evaluate and look inside ourselves. Maybe you've already thought of people that you wish you didn't have to be kind. Maybe this is rubbing against some hard parts of your heart. Uh, maybe you can think of someone right now who you've had a hard time being kind to, and you can imagine their stupid, ignorant face and how it would look real good with maybe a fist right in the middle of it. You can probably picture that person. And maybe it's not like a single person. Maybe it's a kind of person. Maybe it's a group of people where you have your big, long list of everyone you're going to be kind to, but they're not on it. And you have your reasons. You have your ideas. But I, I don't find reasons in Scripture where I get to exclude a group of people from kindness. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we can make that argument. For me, it's people setting off fireworks last week. I'm cool. Like, fireworks last night? All right, I get it. It's Saturday. Fireworks tonight? Sure. Fireworks tomorrow night? Yeah, of course. Tuesday? Okay, you got a few left over you got to get rid of. All right. All right. But when next weekend comes around, be driving around. Who's sitting off them fireworks? Go to the other side of my block. Who's sitting off them fireworks? My first gut reaction when I hear the fireworks is, I'm going to call the police. Call the police right now. I can bet I can guess where those fireworks are coming from. Now is not the time to be setting off fireworks. I have a small child upstairs who's trying to sleep. Now, she's like never moved when fireworks are going off. There's like so much white noise in her room. She couldn't like hear it if a bomb went off outside. But that's always like my gut reaction. That's my example of people who Mike has a hard time being kind to right now. But Galatians 5.17 says, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Matthew 26, Jesus says, The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It is not in my inclination to be kind. And I'm going to guess it's not in your natural inclination to be kind either. But that is something we hope for and we desire. My last thing. Be kind this week, especially when you don't want to. Especially when you don't want to. Start praying now. Say one, God, I am sorry, and I confess that I have not been kind. And maybe you can think of an example. Wonderful thing to confess when your confession is specific to God. It does wonders for our hearts. As God starts to work in that area. Say, God, I confess I have not been kind in this area. God, please forgive me and allow me to be kind to this person, to this group of people. And God, give me an opportunity to be kind this week. Give me an opportunity to practice kindness. Luke 6, 32, 36. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? If you're kind to kind people, <laughs> whoop-de-doo. For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. 
And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But, that's one of those big buts in the Bible. But, love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. What helped those early Christians endure torment and struggle and torture and persecution? I think it was kindness. That was their mission. They were going to leverage their way into every community, into every town, to share the gospel And they were going to use kindness as their pry bar. Because who would, who would reject a kind person? Remember that quote I told you earlier from that pagan emperor? Everyone sees these people and knows them for their kindness. How could we not do the same? My last point, I think it's an important one to touch on. Is there anyone I don't have to be kind to? No. Like, Stop asking. If you are fixated on that question, if you are fixated on finding the loophole, on finding the excuse, on finding that group of people that I don't have to be kind to, you need to go back and listen to what we just spent like 30 minutes talking about. All right? Be kind. Ephesians 2, 7 and 8, talking about you know, what is God going to bring about? So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. We are not just kind to kind people. And we are not kind to the people we like. We are not just kind to the people who act like us and look like us and talk like us. Because Ephesians 2, 7 and 8, the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus, by grace you've been saved through faith. You were not saved because you were a really kind person. We were all enemies of God. And he extends his kindness to us through Jesus Christ. We need, to send, we need to extend that kindness to other people. We need to let kindness be so remarkable that it is undeniable what God is doing in your life. When the pagan empire of Rome looked at these pious little Galileans, these little poor Christians, they were undeniable, not because of their power, not because of their might, not because of what they could do. It was because they were called to be kind and they answered that call. I think we could do a better job at being kind to the world around us so that we can more effectively share the gospel every day. Let's pray. God, thank you for the kindness. First of all, more than anything, God, thank you for the kindness through which you save us. God, it is only through your grace and the giving of your son, Jesus Christ, that we get to be called your children. God, you extend that kindness to us 
while we were not worthy of it. Lord, I pray that would weigh heavy on our hearts, that we would work to be kind in such a way that the truth of who you are and the proof of your existence is undeniable. God, I pray you would convict us where we need convicting, that you would encourage us where we need encouraging. I pray that you would push and prod and pull us towards kindness this week and that that would become a a defining quality of followers of you again. We thank you for your love every day, Lord. In your name we pray, amen.